Mean Old Lion Media presents the history of being black. What up, though? It is the history of being black podcast where we talk about all things black on multiple levels. I am your ultimate black host. I'm coming up with new ways to say my name. This <laughs> Jay Hall. And I am joined by my fellow Detroiter, and I can't even hold my excitement, Cameo King. What up, though? What? 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 I'm excited what up, to be though? here. What up, though? What up, what up, what up? though? <laughs> <laughs> you got to excuse us. We don't apologize at all, but you just got to. We don't. We know. I'm excited to be yeah. here. I'm excited. I'm, I, I would like to categorize myself. Like, I'm black, too. The black and is black, the black from, from Detroit, Detroit City Center, mind you, Detroit City proper. Talk, proper. talk about it. So. Talk about it. Talk about it. How, how are you, friend? How are you? I'm good. good? I'm good. I'm good. good. I am uh, tired, but it's a good tire when you have a lot of projects going on and you're doing a lot of things and you feel like you're working mm-hmm. in your purpose, but um, growing, stretching, um, but I'm good. I'm good. Now, you are the host of the Good Girl Podcast. I have been a guest on that. Lovely show. Dope show, actually. It's so many words. Um, I'm also, I ain't going to say I'm a low-key fan. Like, you know, I listen. And I be letting you know sometimes. I be listening to like, the most random times. <laughs> it's like, how does my vagina work? I be like, ooh, how do you? Know, just, just, that's, the epi- that's the episode I chose to listen to. Did you learn something? Did you? Yeah. Yeah, I did. You know, and that's, I kind of want to. That's why I wanted you on because, you know, I told you from the moment I was on and I became a fan that I think your show is necessary, you know, for both parties. Although I recognize it is a space for black women, but no, you can gain a lot of game and a lot of life experience learning what Cam is bringing to the table, you know. Um, so let's, let's, um, let's, let's, pro- let's get into the Good Girl podcast for a second. You know, what sparked you to stop that podcast? Because, you know, we're in the age of podcast, 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 you know. And I still remember the time. I've been in this game long enough where I remember when you said podcast, people still look at you like you was a loser. But now it's actually a billion-dollar company and everything. So what sparked you to jump in this game of podcasts? Actually, I think it's just honestly my passion for honest conversations. And similar to you, you know, both graduating from Howard University from the School of Communications. Oh, yeah, I almost um, forgot to mention that. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, working for WHBC, you know, you have that passion to have conversation. And, and, you know, in the Black community, we do radio different, I think. No, I know, than a lot of other communities. We, when the music stops, we listen. It It is a, it has been a central point in our community where communication, where conversations happen, move forward, where uh, movements are galvanized, right? And so that was my interest into communication. But what happened is as radio began to take shape, I worked for a local radio station here in Lansing. Um, I wasn't hearing what I wanted to hear. I wasn't having those conversations that really sparked my interest. And I don't think you know, the owners at the time understood the role of Black radio, but they were also battling, you know, what was happening with radio um, as more of the digital um, formats came out. You know, I think it was like iPod and I think Zoom was popular. You guys remember Zoom? Um, (laughs) Zoom was Zoom before I think uh, uh, iTunes was iTunes. Um, But, and so they were battling with how to do radio then. And so they didn't really value talk 
in that way. So I essentially created what I wanted to hear. And I was doing podcasting before podcasting was popular. Um, and I've been podcasting for for a while. And it and I'm gonna be honest with you, when you see <laughs> when you see folks who just jump in the game for two years and they're making a billion dollars, you're like, wait a minute, I've been doing this forever. <laughs> Talk about it. Talk about it. You know, there's always seemed to be shows, you know, for women, you know, the view, the real what makes the good girl podcast distinct versus someone that's writing an office saying where it's oversaturated. It's like women choose. There's plenty you go to a mall that you, you're never gonna be you know, I've never been to a mall that did not have a whole bunch of women's shoes, short short store departments. So what makes the good girl podcast, you know, distinctive in that? I think there really hasn't been a space for women to be themselves in all aspects of their lives, right? And so um, I'll say this. I think uh, faith, specifically Christianity, uh, has a very strong hold on Black women. And I don't want to go too deep into that. Like, I'm a believer. But I think within that space, it hasn't allowed a lot of Black women because of that. And that being the foundation of a lot of Black women's experiences, it hasn't allowed us to explore and explore deeply different parts of ourselves, right? So while I may be a spiritual human being, I'm also a sexual human being, right? I'm also um, a human being uh, that's somewhat political, right? Or um, my experiences do not start and stop. They're more expansive than what happens per se uh, in the pulpit. And if we consider, if we consider our faith being our foundation, that's very hard. If our foundation is a, a box, right? And so myself, I was just like, mm -mm, mm -mm. <laughs> I, need, I need to have these conversations that expand my mind, um, that include all parts of me. And also that is accepting of all parts of me. Um, and allows me to grow and heal. And I think the aspect or the piece that really takes it over, uh, takes it overboard is the confession piece, right? Um, so we ask people to come on every week and have a confession. And that is an uncomfortable truth about yourself. Um, and, you know, you, you was on there. I mean, your show. <laughs> yeah. yep. I don't get inboxes. I don't get that. People was like, so a lot of my guests don't know, like sometimes when shows go up, you know, people always got something to say. And I defend my guests. I hold my guests down. So I was, you know, in my, in my inbox, mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. don't, come, don't come for people. Um, but it creates a space where people can be honest and people can heal from things that were something maybe that they believe or how they showed up or, um, you know, something that, that they were just proud of. But it just really mm -hmm. wasn't the truth or it wasn't a, uh, it didn't get them to where they sincerely desire to be. And so we have, we unpack those conversations. Like, you know, I used to, so I don't think this is your, your straight confession. I, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Go ahead. But go it, was, ahead. it was like being an F boy, right? I used to be an F boy and it was really, it was really unpacking that and not being that surface level conversation. Like it was like, it was deep. And it was healing and it was honest and no one can take that experience away from you. And so we have conversations like that all the time. I think another one, I guess the men are holding it down. Another one I had was a man on there about basically how he wasn't having sex with his wife. Um, and he was, it was, he was honest. Like I even, I waited to release that <laughs> because I went back. I said, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you because he was. Because he was 
so was so <laughs> sincere because I said you can talk all this, you know, um, about staying with your wife, but he was honest. He was like, I he was like, I'll be tempted, and sometimes I don't know what what to do, and sometimes I'm like, girl, you got to give me, you got to do something, and I'm just like, <laughs> don't don't say that, don't do my girl like that. So so let's 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 backtrack for a second because I don't want nobody <laughs> to get confused, right? <laughs> So I, I'm a writer and um, I have a, a, a blog that I write called Walks to Choose Bubblegum. And I wrote an article called Confessions of a Former F-Boy, My Toxic Journey. And, you know, the title says what it says. And then I wrote it and it caught wind. That's actually how you and I were introduced to each other because we went to Howard at the same time, but we didn't know each other like that. We, you know, we had familiar faces, but during homecoming, everybody becomes familiar. It's just what it is. We even had a photo of each other just celebrating like we was like from kindergarten and everything. <laughs> and so I wrote the article and it was being shared a lot. And then, you know, you hit me up and was like, hey, listen, I got this podcast. I'm going to have you on. And I was like, bet. You know, and I, I, at the time, I had no idea, you know, what to experience or whatever. But I do remember, you know, the first question of, okay, who hurt you? Right? And you was like, yo, who, you know, I want to know, like, who hurt you? Did you learn this? You know, um, what girl that you messed up and the lesson you learned. And it, it was almost like a movie because that's what's been conditioned with us. It's like once a guy learns what he done wrong, it, he either the girl that he really loved married someone else and he's now trying to, you know, tell everybody, you know, Jay-Z's 444 or whatever, you know, don't don't hurt nobody. And I didn't have that. And I remember he was like, wait a minute, what? And I was like, no, I'm just, it was just something, a conclusion that I had came to on my own of like, yo, because I was looking at the extreme cases. And, you know, you were really masterful and helped me guide that conversation and being able to get that out of how a lot of us guys will look at the extreme cases that we're seeing. Like, OK, I'm not future, so I'm good. That's, that's, that's honestly so how we be looking at it. And I even learned from you is, is when, when you and I were going back and forth, like, yeah, even the subtleties are, are F-boyish. Even this is, you know, whatever. And I thought it was such a great moment for me because I had a sister who was holding me accountable, but also being sensitive to the part that I was opening up to. And I can only imagine how the women feel when they come on your show, because you definitely provide, you, you feel like you can go on and on. Like you feel like you can almost say what the body is apparent. And then you also <laughs> have a good gift of like saving someone or whatever. And I remember after you and I was done, I told you, I said, yo, Cam, this show was amazing. <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel so blessed to be on this show. This show was amazing. You know, is that something that you picked up on on your, like your third guest, your fourth guest, or were you intentional about that from the start? I think it's something that I learned over time, right? I think it's something that is a part of the formula. And um, I think it's also having conversations beforehand with the guests about my intent. And so they feel comfortable enough sharing with me that I'm not trying to. And this is something I actually learned from watching um <clears throat> watching a something on YouTube about Oprah and how she interviews, um, that she's very direct with her guests up front, whatever it's going to be. She will tell them like, this is my goal. Every question that I ask is connected to this goal. Um, so it may be offensive. It may be, but understand this is what I'm doing. Um, and she'll ask them, are you comfortable with that? And it's guests that I've turned away or times where I've recorded with folks and you can feel their hesitancy because they aren't comfortable. Um, they aren't comfortable with that. But I think me being upfront and also that just being who I am, meaning what you see 
is what you get. That I don't have any tricks up my sleeve. Um, that I'm not trying to finagle you into anything. And I tell told now, I'll say on my show, I won't do that. But I when I used to work in journalism, <laughs> I did where you give um it's this idea that you have um like a hat like questions are my is my tool, but it's really like a rope. And so you can decide as a guest what you want to do with the rope. You can pull people into your story or you can hang yourself with it. Um, and so mm. my line of questioning is is typically built on that, but I let people know this is where I'm going and this is why I'm asking that question. And I think that that's what makes people feel comfortable because they know this is this is what cameo this is what cameo is doing. And I also think it's you know how people say you know I can feel your energy, and I think culturally that we are at a space where we're more sensitive and we're paying attention to people's energy. Um, And I would like to believe I'm confident that my energy is sincere um, and that it is welcoming, but that it also holds some type of healing space. And I think people pick up on that. And so they relax and um, we, we essentially, we just vibe. And I, and I, I think that's a part of creating, creating that space. Yeah, because you didn't even tell me people was hitting your DM, so you got to tell me that on camera. So you know, so that's okay though. <laughs> I'm glad you have my back though. That's 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 not a problem. It's not a problem. It's not a problem. This is okay. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back for a second. You know, you're growing up in Detroit. You know, and you have your family home. What's your family structure like that you could see back then that connect you to what you're doing now, and why is it so important? I think so. Family structure. So. I grew up, so my mom and my dad were together until about second or third grade, until I was in about second or third grade. And then my dad, you know, he's still a part of my life. We had our ups and downs because I felt like he just left, right? No conversation, no no nothing, even though he was still very much alive, present, you know, he just all of a sudden not there. So, but I really think what is critical in who I was to the work that I'm doing now is the fact that I was exposed to so many different types of Black women and that they weren't considered necessarily good or bad, if that makes sense, right? One wasn't prioritized over the other. Um, And I had a wide variety of women in my family, right? Because I think even to this day, Black women are forced to choose between like righteous and ratchet, right? And ratchet being bad, righteous being good. And I think I was exposed to everything between righteous and ratchet in my family and neither of them being defined as good or as bad, more so that these, this is what's connected to this behavior. These are the consequences that are connected to this behavior. And these are the consequences that are connected to that behavior. Again, not assigning them to good or bad. That, But this is just typically what happens in this environment. And I think that has allowed me to navigate a lot of spaces. And it has allowed me to be in relationship with a lot of women. Um, and more so have the curiosity of their journey. Because when you're meeting um, a woman who doesn't necessarily fit the traditional space or idea of femininity um, and she is extremely successful, 
right? And then you have the woman over here who who does fit that, and she's not successful at all. But then you have media telling you that that the woman who fits this, you know, whether it's in talk, in look, in how she her disposition, um, her countenance, like all these things, and she's not accomplishing what society says to accomplish. It really gave me a just a palette of understanding life and being curious about people's journeys and understanding no one's story is the same. No one's story is necessarily a reflection of who they are, but maybe decisions or choices that they had to make or choices that was that were available to them. Is that the significance of the title? The Good Girl um, Podcast? No, that was more so... A judgment on cameo. (laughs) 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 Because so while I had this wide while I I had this wide array of 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 women, I was still fighting very much this idea of a good girl, right? Because I did see I saw it growing up in a parochial school, being quiet, right? Being the good girl, not being the girl that was out there, even though you wanted to be all out there. Or being a girl who wanted to wear um, little hoochie mama shorts or low cut tops and really not being out there as a teen and at the same time being judged. I very much tried to fit into this good girl role. And I remember walking down Georgia Avenue and I clear as day and I could figure out. In D.C. Listen, in D.C., Georgia Avenue, probably in front of of, uh, the Jamaican spot. And um, I think I was trying to figure out while some people in my class were being very successful, some girls and even some men, but they weren't fitting into this idea, right? They they were what we may consider hood, right? And mind you, this is judgmental cameo. Like so, so give me some, give me some space. I said this is a judgment on me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I and I and I was like, well, how come you know how come they can get this 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 and I can't get that. And and I and my response to myself was like because you know I'm good like I'm a good girl. I heard God saying, "You think so?" <laughs> like I I I heard that like you like you really think so. And that's where the journey began with God showing me my dirty soul, God showing me other people's great beautiful souls and just the layers of folks. Um, and so that's what it that's what it came down to. We we have this idea of good that does nothing for us. Um, and good is really to me about being your authentic self and being honest, confessing about who you are, where you are in life. When I hear that for me, I wonder, although this space is for women, would and you don't you know, you, you can say no or whatever the case may be. What would you like if men come across that to hear what you just said when it comes to that? Because I know from being raised, the good girl and the bad girl thing is something that was put upon me from birth. Whether it was from the mothers and the aunties from the color purple generation and or my fathers and the men, you know, you want to have fun with the bad girl and you want to settle with the good girl. So with you and having that redefinition that you had, that moment that you had, what would you kind of like for men to kind of take from that? Or if you think they need to take anything at all? I mean, as cliche as it sounds, like don't judge a book by its cover, um, because um, at the end of the day, and you made reference to this, but, um, you know, we we all got bodies buried somewhere, right? 
we all have demons where we're fighting. And if you think that the woman who is considered bad is going to show up differently for you in a relationship, I think that's too quick of a judgment versus really understanding her story and to see if that aligns with who you are and where you want to be if you're considering her, you know, for a relationship. And it it goes both ways. And I'm not saying to dismiss someone's actions. I think someone's actions does reflect very much their heart. But the question is, are your values the same? And how does someone manifest their values? Something as simple as being, so someone may categorize uh, being modest, right? Modest in dress as good, right? But the woman who is modest could be insecure, right? The woman who is dresses a little bit more scantily clad could, could be really confident. And confidence is needed in a relationship. You need to feel secure in yourself in a relationship. And it could be vice versa too. The woman who is dressed modestly could be extremely confident. The woman who is dressed, you know, with the hoochie mama shorts on and the, you know, bikini top, she could be insecure. But you but you don't know. You You don't know how someone expresses themselves and expresses who they are. So I told you I'm a fan of the show. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm about to put myself to the test. I want let's 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 I'm gonna throw out some random things that I catch on the show that I okay. want to get your perspective on here on the history of being black, you know, and then you know see if you can tie in you know the history of it also too. Let's talk about the politics of being light when it comes to women. <laughs> I thought that was such an interesting thing. The politics of being of being light. I I, I got mine, but I, I want to hear. You. I want the world to hear yours again and again and again. So please, the politics uh, of being light when it comes to women. Oh, goodness. Okay, so I was I said that in the context of, um, what was it? I think, I don't know if that was the last podcast, but I said it in the context of more so work, I believe, and how women have been taught um, implicitly and explicitly that being liked is far more valuable than actually having a skill set, right? So if we are in the workplace and you like me, right? Meaning you like me as a person, you like um, my bubbly spirit, you like how anytime you ask me to do something, I say yes, you like that about me. That that is connected to promotion, that that is connected to um, my ability to climb the corporate ladder, that that is connected to my access to other opportunities as a woman being liked, right? And I believe, I know a lot of women know this because they see it happening. And that a woman's actual skill set isn't necessarily valued or it's not the thing that people initially look to uh, when they are thinking about women in the workplace. That has been my experience. And I'm not saying you got to be out here being a jerk. It's nothing wrong with being kind. But what I know and what I have been taught, it pays to be liked. It pay, you, get, you get so much more. And, and, and I say it all the time, you get more bees with honey than you do vinegar. I don't know who wants bees, but you get my point. Um, <laughs> I have no idea who wants bees. No right. idea. <laughs> I don't but want you, bees. Right, right. But you, but you get my point, right? You, it, it, I just, but for men, if we're comparing that, for men, I don't think you guys are taught 
to be nice. You guys are taught to get the job done. You know, show me the results. Show me the receipts. So, you know, so, so I look at life as degrees. I think the highest degree of a man that does not have to worry about being like is white males. They can advance regardless, right? They, them being like is like a plus. But everyone's, you know, before, depending on who you talk to, you know, Donald Trump being rude on NBC every week was okay to do because that's what it takes to be successful. That's what the dialogue was for many, many years. Then I think as you come down the ladder, there are Black men, and we are still men, and we have a privilege that we can sit on, where we can't go as far as white males of not being liked. Like, we have to be liked. Like, Johnny has to be liked. But at the bottom of that is Black women. And I think Black men come behind white women. And da 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 You know what I'm saying? But the bottom of that is Black women. Black women cannot go through life advancing without being like, you know, my mom was working. She was a working mother. She definitely had to be like, she definitely had to be the black woman in the nineties working. She had to be like, it's just, it's no question her getting a raise. She had to be like, and it would create tension with her and the other black woman probably in the room because they will only get one black woman a raise per whatever, no matter what job my mother had. And Instead of them having a, a moment to bond, it created oftentimes moments to separate. And you're right. We are taught uh, ultimately that we have to get the job done. That's just not a question. But there still is. And, you know, and this is probably from living in D.C. all these years. There are a lot of brothers that walk around, you know, trying to be like and navigate ever since the Obamas came in town. You know, you know about that. You and I was here before and after the Obamas came. You can write a whole book about that yourself. And they do navigate with that. And I don't think that they take into consideration just how much Black women have to do when they step out the door. They, they dismiss it really, you know, a lot. Even when they think they're saying things as a compliment. You don't need all that makeup and stuff. You don't need all that stuff in your hair. But you take, for example, New York City just, what, a few years ago became the first, if not one of the few states, to say that you couldn't fire somebody, a woman, because of her hair. So even the roots of getting weave and getting your hair straightened, all of that, those were systematic things. Those were law things that were put in place where women could not advance. My mom got fired from a job like that. Like that, that is that was a real thing. So of course, of us in our black culture, we we make things fly. When you force us to do things, we we make it fly. And I think that part got lost in that. You know, that's my response to the like politics of it all. Yeah, and, and to add to that, when you talk about like, and I think people are, um, I initially only equated to like emotional or relational, but I'm glad that you brought it into the physical, that, that that's that's a part of being like too, a part of being accepted, a part of being affirmed. And you talk about here, like the Crown Act that has been passed in multiple states, but I experienced that too. Like me coming out of college, wearing my hair natural, my boss told me he would not hire me because my hair was natural working in news and TV news. And I did not get the job. I did not That's get the job. Thing. And so when you talk about being liked, and mind you, there were other black women there straighten their hair, straighten their hair. And it was another, and this, and it became even more real to me in that space. Another young lady, we're friends to this day. She works in news and she, she straightened her hair, nice, smiling all in his face. Yeah. What do you, and you know, me still kind of got that Detroit edge. Like, no, what do I need to straighten my hair for? And and yeah. I can have my edge all I want to, but guess who didn't have a job? And it had nothing to do with my skill set because I moved over to radio and I became an award-winning journalist. So likability, 
likability yeah. is huge. Yeah, and it flexes over to the personal side too. Because even when it comes to dating, it's more acts about me as a man, what I can provide. And, you know, can I produce children and can I provide shelter? Being like, no one, no one cares. No one cares about feelings. No one cares about that. What can I do? I could be a jerk, for example, you know, but if I got a good job or a good future, somebody's going to tell that woman that's bearing all of my BS to grind it out. And she's going to look like she committed the ultimate sin when she separates from me on that. And, and those things happen. And, and I'm going to add to it, like, even as you were saying, I just remember conversations with my friends when you have men like that and you say, but you got to respect that. Like, dismiss everything else he's done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you, but you got to respect them, though, because he's doing X, Y, and Z. Like, forget his behavior, forget his emotional intelligence, but because he is being this idea of a man providing he has a job, this isn't what he wants, no matter how rude he delivered it, no matter how careless he was um, with his words, but you got to respect that. And that's, again, how it's interlaced and how it's even accepted and how it's even affirmed by women and men that men don't necessarily have to be liked. But women... Yeah, because, you know, um, you know, you and I, we majored in journalists, so journalism, so I don't know about you, but, you know, most of his career, I've been broke. And I know I didn't get the chances some of my corporate brothers got. Like, I know I didn't. Women were leaving me off the top. Like, oh, you late? Five minutes for picking me up? Lose my number. Versus some of my CEO brothers who work on Wall Street or K Street, they were able to be trash, like straight trash or whatever. And not only was the woman taking it, but her friends were telling her it's okay. And her mother was telling her it was okay. You know what I'm saying? Versus yeah. someone who does not have um, a set future. Let me let me um, pull something else to show you how much of a fan I am of the Good Girl Podcast. This is what this is about. Do you think, or why don't you think that most men don't have an answer when it comes to submission? Ah, okay. <laughs> there was a podcast where you talked about a guy was talking about being submissive and he did not have an answer. Let's elaborate on that, Cam. I <laughs> su- submission, that is a that is a when you I feel like when you bring that word into the conversation, you're choosing violence, typically. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think when you ask some men, most men, the men who bring up submission, that's what I'll say. The men who bring up submission okay. in a conversation with someone that they're dating or someone that you're interested in, um, you know, their typical response is, I don't know, or they don't have a definition that's rooted in anything solid, right? Whether it is your morals, your, val- your values, your experiences, your faith, something that has been proven, <laughs> something that makes sense, something that hits the wall. You know, I think it's because those type of men have not yet solidified their identity and within themselves, right? And so they're okay. grasping on to this idea of submission, this idea that's connected to their masculinity. Um, and they're holding on to that, expecting that how I show up as a woman defines you as a man. So if I'm not submissive, then you're not a man. But when I ask questions, like very basic questions, like what does submission mean to you? Or how does it, what does it look like practically in a relationship? Or what happens when you are incapacitated? You know, and you don't have an answer. <laughs> like you're shook. And I think it comes down to the lack of identity. I really do. Because I'll say this, 
the men that I have entertained and the men that I know that I, I'll say, respect. Um, and, and I say entertain intentionally, meaning like I will give you some of my time. I do respect you on some level. Um, you've shown me enough that there could potentially be something there. Have never asked me about submission. Never. Mm. Never. And even and even how you define submission. So before I say what I'm going to say, I think a lot of women feel this burden. Like you feel icky. I feel icky when I hear submission because it feels like you're literally, I'm, I'm handing so much over to you. I'm handing my emotional safety, my spiritual safety, my physical safety, I'm handing all of this. And, and, and the part of me that I have worked so hard to become. You know, when you talk about healing, when you talk about um, being the best version of yourself, when you talk about doing the work, when you talk about going to therapy, when you talk about fighting your demons, like who I am today, who you have in front of me, you expect me to hand that over to you because of this idea of submission. It's ridiculous. And so when women hear that, there's some fear because are you going to handle it properly? And if I trust you with it, you could drop it Set me back a few because I did trust you with it and the whole house is on fire. And so I say all that to say, I believe most women and men do desire this idea of submission. And that's being able to trust someone with those parts of yourself and knowing that you can handle them and handle them properly. When I say handle them, that doesn't also mean like you're taking care of everything. That doesn't mean when I say um, like, spiritually or emotionally, but also that you're doing your work, right? And you're not projecting and you're not gaslighting me, but that you're doing the work when I hand my emotions over to you. And it works both ways because when we're safe and we're in this space, um, this very vulnerable space, um, a lot, like all all our walls are down. And if you, like I've seen women, and, and, I'm, and I'm not saying it doesn't happen to men, but I've seen women be destroyed emotionally by men who did not handle them with care because they didn't have their stuff together because they didn't, they didn't do the work. They didn't go to therapy. So I, I, I I was sharing that to say, I, I wholeheartedly believe I desire to be, I believe men desire to be like submissive to someone that they trust um, and someone that can be vulnerable with them and someone that can be honest with them, but just being clear that, Handing these things over to you doesn't absolve me from doing my work, but it's about creating that space, that safe space where I can I can be my full self and you and you know how to you know how to handle me. If I gotta like if you know Cameo's typically on this even keel and maybe I got a little funky attitude, it's like Cameo, go get you something to eat. Why you got an attitude? You know? <laughs> instead of completely instead of completely going off on me. But does that does that absolve me from having an attitude? No. I need to check myself and I shouldn't, I shouldn't be going off on him because I need a chicken wing. You know what I'm saying? So. Yeah. Yeah, I do. It's an interesting thing because when you told that story, you said that he didn't have an answer and he was just reduced to saying, because I'm the man. And it's so interesting because I hear, you know, when I'm in my conversations with dudes or group chats and, you know, when no women are around, you know, everybody tries to change definitions to fit their, 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 their needs. When you really look at the definition of submission, it says, quote, I, I Googled this right before you and I got on. It says, accept or yield to a superior force or the authority or will of another person, unquote. And I got to tell you, I grew up in such a unique type of atmosphere that I remember I didn't even realize people still cared about those things until I got to Howard. I'll be, per- be totally honest with you. 
because one of the great things about growing broke is that you don't have time to be like the man that's going to do this or the woman's going to do this. You know, I grew up in that era, and you remember we from back home where all the men were getting laid off at the plant. So a lot of men were home and they were doing domestic stuff. And a lot of the women were working past eight mile and they were doing things in the office because nobody was going to hire no brawly black man to work in their office in Sterling Heights, Michigan. Just wasn't going to happen. So a lot of the brothers had to wait for the plant to call them back or they were working the corners. In the meanwhile, they were taking care of us. They was walking us to school. They were doing all these things. And a lot of the women were paying the bills. And I really did not know when I until I got older and went to college. And there were women who were challenging me on that. Because when I read it, it just sounds dated. I'm just personally, and you come to know me like that. I'm just personally not somebody. I'd be like, yo, why are we still doing this? This is like in the 1800s. Like I throw stuff away. And I just don't understand this obsessive need to have this, this word that we see what the definition is. And we want to add it to our identity so much. And my observation of it, and this is me talking, not you. Black men are always trying to emulate white male success with that because they see how the white man and his woman and they see they don't burp, they don't see a challenge so they're like i gotta have that in order for me to have some sort of identity because especially if you're a brother from 1619 heritage struggling to find an identity here in this white world is something that you start from birth and the white male success being on tv and everything that's the first thing you see you don't see insecure when you come of age you see wonder years reruns of family ties and all these obsessive new shows of white male success and their women not really challenging the only white woman i ever saw challenge of a man on tv was i love lucy and her man was not white so it's <laughs> like nobody else really challenged in that and they try to emulate that and I, I really struggle even when i'm talking with men or whatever like why is why does this have to be our identity because i look upon leadership as it being interchangeable if you and I, if you're from L.A. and I'm in L.A. with you, I don't know where I'm going. Cameo should drive because I don't know where I'm going. If I'm in Detroit, if I'm from Detroit. I should drive. Life is really just that simple for me. I don't understand why it has to be broken down to the gender part of why I got to be in charge and why you got to do that. And listen, I got to tell you, Cam, there are women who hold me accountable for that, too. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to dismiss how many times women here because, of course, you hear way more. Than I. But I got to tell you, there are women out there from the traditional standing, or at least they feel like there's an idea of a man. They want at least me to like somewhat practice it. And I just don't understand why we're holding on to that. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point back to two things you said, like, how, why, why are we holding on to these old definitions? And then also, um, oh, you was like 16, 19. So I don't want to forget the two. I wish I had a pen so I can write, write this down. But I think first, first and foremost, that, that 16, 19, the fact that we were in the field with y'all, we were right next to y'all picking cotton. Um, we were right next, a lot of us were. And therefore, our experience here and what we are growing out of, like everything is connected back to slavery. Everything is a product of slavery. Um, and how we understood that affects or very much shows up in how we connect and how we relate to one another and, and the dynamics of our relationship, right? There was really no hierarchy when I'm, or the hierarchy is, dismantled when I'm right next to you on the field. 
That and I'm held accountable for picking the same amount as you are. That's dismantled, and we don't factor we don't factor that in. We don't factor that in. And then you said, why are we so? Why is it hard for us to let go of things that don't work? I'm going to point back to what I started with when you asked me about um, the Good Girl podcast. I think because, and I say this as a believer, I think Christianity has a hold on us in a way where we are afraid to explore what has been taught to us or we don't have the tools to explore um, you know, to go deeper and say, when was submission applied? Who wrote this? Um, how was that helpful? Who said it? Why did they say that? In what context does it apply here? And so we hear these narratives or we are literally married to these ideas that were helpful to a certain extent um, to our grandparents, maybe our parents, maybe our great-great-grandparents. And a lot of what's wrapped up into that is respectability politics that helped some groups of people move up. And so you believe you're seeing the benefits of following these things like submission, right? Um, So because I was submissive to my husband, therefore we are a successful family unit. Um, And all I have to do is continue continue to abide by these guidelines by these precepts that's connected to my faith, something that I've experienced that is extremely powerful to me and something that has become real to me. But it can be so, it's so layered. It's so diverse. It's so, it's so much. But I think that that is a part of it, right? That essentially, I'll say this, like the church was right over here, but over here it's kind of murky, right? Um, and because I think the church was right, and they were really right because they changed my life when it came to this. I'm seeing something I've never seen before, but in this area, I don't know. And so what happens is you doubt yourself and you say, well, submission has to be right because this was, right. and so I, and I think that's one, I think that's a small piece, a small piece of the, of the larger pie. And I know we're just talking about submission, but this is evident oh, in, oh. in, in, in a lot of things that we experience and we don't have conversations like this that explore other ways of being while still honoring whatever it is you want to honor, whether it's your faith, whether it is your relationship um, and not feeling as though you are dishonoring something that has been good to you, like the church or like, or like God. And like I said, Christianity, faith, that we got a hold on us. Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought it to that because that's going to bring me to the final thing I want to point out from the Good Girl podcast that sticks out to me. And what is the infatuation with the Sierra prayer? <laughs> <laughs> I see so many women on my timeline on IG that just be looking at the Sierra prayer when it comes to her and, um, you know, Russell Wilson as goals and all these other things. And it, it's it. First of all, for me, let me just say, like, celebrity worship has just gotten out of hand just for me. Personally, when I see it, I don't care who you are. But I find it so amazing how it becomes this future is this 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 evil guy, and Russell Wilson is this great guy, you know. And there's no, there's just this, you know. There was never no like final statements being released, you know, because back when I was in radio, I kept up with it a little bit. But I, I just find it so interesting, you know. Period. How it's just. 
you know, this right here is what I want. And you don't know what happens at home. You don't know what's going on, but it becomes this, this thing. And men get offended by it for some reason. You know, they're upset with it and everything and they don't like it. And this guy is lame and, and all it is. I just want to know, because this is from, you know, an episode of your show. What is the infatuation with the Sierra prayer? It's, it's this idea that that the good girl wins, right? <laughs> it is that the good girl that has been done wrong wins. And, and that she did something rather simple. And again, I'm pointing back to these notions within, within, within our faith. Um, and, uh, and I also want to be clear that I don't want to come off that I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I hate church. I hate Christianity. No, I don't want to, I don't want to come off like that. Um, that's why I was intentional in saying like, no, I'm a believer, but I, I, that, that this thing called life is easy, right? And so what the Sierra prayer does is create this very easy approach to getting what you want that aligns with people's faith. Like, all I got to do is pray this prayer and boom, he going to show up, right? And I've made some bad decisions with some bad dudes categorizing future as a bad guy who did me wrong. And I don't, and like you said, there were no statements. So Sierra never took accountable for her actions. I believe in any relationship, we both got to take accountability for our actions, um, and, and, and voila, it's here. And so that's, that's, that's the idea. And also understanding how society, church, family, friends, all that's included in society very much still upholds that marriage and babies is the creme de la creme of life. Forget everything else, marriage, mm. babies. And so it's this idea that she prayed, she followed God and she got what she wanted. And that is a laugh on the pit of hell. You can follow God all day. You can pray all day and you may not get what you want. Yeah. It just, you know, to what you said about the stranglehold, I, listen, I didn't know how deep the Sierra prayer was. Like I had no idea. And I casually said something like, Oh, I'm not a fan of his, you know? And the next thing I know I got ravaged, <laughs> but I wasn't, I wasn't a fan because I keep a note of a lot of people who were talking a lot of black men and black people who were talking that All Lives Matters mess pre-George Floyd, and he was one of them, right? And so I was just talking about that. I ain't got nothing to do with their relationship. I'm happy. Whatever, whatever makes you move. And man, I got jumped on board without even having a chance to even explain it. And they was like, oh, well, I don't even remember when I was around. I was like, yeah, he disguised it with Christian overtones. You know, <laughs> so it's, it's almost, once you're married, everything is fine. It's, it's, you know, once you're doing this, everything can be ignored. It's, it's, you can say something misogynistic. You can say, but if you say God told you to say this in that relationship, it is fine. It should not be challenged. And it is wild that we as black people, we've seen so many other things in our history of being here that do not work. Again, I go back to this, but yet we want to stay committed. And it's, I don't know, it's because we don't have that many examples. I don't, because I can't say that. You know, I'm just like, yo, why are y'all so infatuated with this? And I, I just had to ask, you know, when I see that, because it's it's heavy. It, it, and you're it right, is. there's no accountability. You're right, there's no accountability on no sides, respectfully, right? There's no, there's no, there's never no, well, hmm, you chose that. You know, even for the other side, like, I will hold men accountable all the time. You know, I don't, don't be dogging the baby moms. You know what I'm saying? Like, you chose this, you got to be accountable and stuff like that. But it seems like nowadays, as you and I sit here in this moment, the accountability is almost lost. 
and and I think it's also a part of depending on I don't know like who's on your timeline too, but I, I also feel like with social media, the people who with the loudest voices um, mm. tend to be it. it don't, y'all don't. I'm just saying, don't come for me. But this is just just what I have observed. The people with the loudest voices typically be the most ignorant, right? And and I say ignorant literally, not like not demeaning, but meaning lacking knowledge, right? Mm. Lacking life experiences, meaning out of this one picture, you make a lot of assumptions that this is the perfect relationship because he believes in God and because she believes in God and because she's always smiling, but everything is curated, you know? Um, and, And we just believe that. Like we create so many stories. I wanted to do like a little study. I don't know if you can really do it, but just ask people based on my social media profile, assign me characteristics, right? Assign me a house, assign me a personality. It's like assign me these things and I want to see how much of that lines up with my reality. Um, I've had so many people, I've had a couple people ask me like, Kimio, I thought you stay in LA. I don't. Why do you think I stay in LA? <laughs> I do not. Um, but but I think but I think it's I think it's people's idea of you that create a reality um for themselves and then that reality becomes real. And I just don't think we know how powerful our thoughts are. I don't think we realize how much they drive our actions, how much they drive how we feel. It it just it just goes it goes so deep and I think I shared this with you because it was at one point I think I was I think I was listening to just a lot of men right? Just kind of run their mouth. And I was just like, I think I'm done. Um, uh, I was, I was, I like, I had lost all hope of like really connecting with a partner or someone who I felt would respect me, someone who was open-minded, someone who wasn't coming into the space of submission, someone who, someone who was doing the work. And I think after we had that podcast, it was three of y'all, it was you. Yeah. Yep. Kellen and um, Emery. And I said, well, my God. I said, God, I guess maybe you got to ram in the bush because I'm a little bit more revitalized. <laughs> because I was, <laughs> and, and I just, I really had to shut down who I was listening to and who I, even in my family, like just, but just had to shut down who I was listening to and who I was talking to because it very much shapes your outlook on what you think mm-hmm. about people, things, and also what you expect. Like you just begin to expect that this is what guys are going to be talking about or that no one is really doing the work or that all you, no one is emotionally intelligent or that you don't care about someone's emotions or all you want to do is provide, uh, provide and direct. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yes. Listen, I just started that practice maybe a couple years ago. Your diet, your social diet is real just as much as your physical diet. So yeah, you, you right. Cause I was, I understand that done place. Yo, this was dope. Yo. This is dope. So I really hope everyone's understanding that the Good Girl Podcast is just that fly because it'd be catching my attention. You know what <laughs> I mean? So I, Camille, you know, I love you as a sister, man, being from Detroit and also being Howard Bison, you know, but coming on here, you definitely provided some gems. Can you just give everybody the Good Girl Podcast information, what they can do to actually help and, you know, how often the episodes come out? No doubt. Um, appreciate you having me on. Always a pleasure. Um, always dope conversations um, with you just because of who you are and just because of your honesty and transparency. 
Um, so I just want to highlight that. But for the Good Girl Podcast, we are wherever you can find your podcast, iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, uh, wherever. And if we're not there, just send me a quick note. Um, and it's The Good Girl, that's singular, The Good Girl Podcast. Uh, we're also obviously on the web, thegoodgirlpodcast.com, and we're on social media at The Good Girl Podcast. And um, we post a show every Wednesday. Um, at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, wink, because I've been late, I think, the last two times. <laughs> yeah, I heard um, that last episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're currently uh, we're currently on a break because I'm doing some um, other things. We typically break in June, July, and August. I didn't officially end the season, but um, we are on a break and we'll probably gear back up in September. That's what's up. I appreciate you. I love you. Thank you very much for, you know, giving us those jewels, you know. Much respect, much respect, much love. And this has been the history of being black. We took blackness up to another level with my homie Cameo King. I appreciate that. I'm Jay Hall. Make sure you go to the history of being black, all of our social media. Make sure you are subscribed and you share the episodes. Also, make sure you follow me at Jay Hall Society on all digital media platforms. Be blessed, successful, and we will talk to you soon. The History of Being Black is hosted by Jay Hall, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast. Find the History of Being Black podcast on IG at The History of Being Black. Follow the Mean O-Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mean O-Line Media. Get the Mean O-Line Media app in the App Store or on Google Play. The History of Being Black podcast is a Mean O-Line Media production.